Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Scott, oh, you're calm today. It's much different yeah, than... I'm, I'm hungover. I'm Are hungover. you? Fashion <laughs> week. you do? <laughs> Daddy goes to some bad fashion week parties. You go to... Fa- why? 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 Because I, I'm 10 years into a 70-year midlife crisis. And, okay. And every 10 years, I'm like, I'm definitely too old to be here. Now, I yeah. just... I, I just... I managed to suppress that self-awareness with alcohol. So I see. I go to so places wait, so and, you may have you know, gotten so old that you're now cool again, like Larry David, who you don't, who has, has a slight resemblance to you in a weird way. Um, he was there at Fashion Week, and he was talking on his phone in the middle of the fashion show. It was kind of perfect. Yeah, me and Larry David, that's a comparison I want. <laughs> he's so that's talented. He's such a good. Anyway, did you did you find any fashions you like? Is it was it very lively? I mean, is it COVID do they care at all? New York, I mean, New York's on fire right now. Yeah, it's really beautiful is. out. I just got here. It's uh, not that I not that I notice good-looking people, but there are mm-hmm. from what I understand a lot of them roaming around the streets right now. Yeah. A lot of parties. I went to a a bar the other night, and it was yeah. so crowded. I walked oh. in. I'm like, I can't be here. I this is just that. too crazy. Um, yeah, I but I mean, that. packed, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And know. people feel – cool. the city feels – I mean, the city feels great, Kara. I mean, it really feels very vibrant. Yeah, I know it does. I, I'm not thrilled with the packed thing. I think we're still vulnerable. Yeah, I agree. But nonetheless, it Agreed. does feel great on the street, for sure. It feels fun. Yeah. I just got here, and I, I came from – I was. I arrived at Penn Station, which was not Penn Station. That was a pleasing moment. Arriving at the new Moynihan Penn Station, which I had not. So been talk at. about that. I love infrastructure. Oh wow! It's really so, like Penn Station is really the armpit of all train stations in America. Yeah. I think. I mean, anywhere. I would say globally. I would say globally, and it's you know full of just filth and crazy people and people waiting and crowds and it's just mm-hmm. just grime after grime just yeah, and ugly everything yeah. the whole thing highly inconvenient the new one you emerge out of and it's this beautiful it's not big but it's a it's not like grand like say union station or some mm-hmm. others that you come out of in Europe every one of them in Europe but it's quite beautiful and and lovely and clean and weird i was like where am i this is this was something i haven't seen cuz i used to travel to new york quite a bit and i haven't been but it was it was a nice surprise, I'll tell you that, the morning. That's great. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, it was nice. Oh, you know, you saw Larry David at Fashion Show. You know yeah. who I saw? Who? I saw Jesus. No, you didn't. Who? He was a cross-dresser. <gasps> really? Who? Get it? Cross-dresser? No, no I don't. <laughs> Oh, oh my God, that's a terrible joke. Oh my Awful. God. Awful. That's why I'm here for terrible uh, jokes. You know what? Anyway, We're sorry. taping on National Bald Day, just so you know. The staff just National informed me. National Bald Day? Yeah. Congrats I choose to, you, to be bald. I shave my head. There's a difference. <laughs> okay. I choose to have a shave. Is there a, a lot of hair head. there? No. Is there? You no, know, I did it. It raised what? literally. I was raising a ton of money in the '90s, and I was starting yeah. to lose my hair. Oh, my hair looking. used to be my best feature. Granted, mm-hmm. low bar. I can't believe. Bar. I can't imagine you with hair. I cannot yeah, imagine. In grad school, I had a skateboard and a ponytail. I that's cannot how you lose, imagine that. That's how you lose your virginity at 19. <laughs> That's how you don't get laid until you're a sophomore at UCLA, oh which is like dodging bullets in a in a I wish in a hail I had of known fire. that, Scott, with hair, but not in, in Anyways, fact, we do no, not. I had, anyway, I had really good hair. But anyways, I shaved my head, <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden, the valuations of all the companies I started in the Bay Area Because well, you look up. like Lex Luthor. That's really it. That's well, you look really like an internet guy, like a, yeah. an, an MBA yeah. from Berkeley and yeah. outdoor Michael plumbing Wolf. and a shaved you're head was cool. recipe to raise money, uh, it's a, a thing. ton of money. It's a thing. All right, we got to talk about some other things. Speaking of looks, let me just say, Facebook and Ray-Ban, I want to unveil the pair of connected sunglasses. The frames look like standard Ray-Bans, and they include a discreet camera. Uh, Let's hear a clip from the Zuckerberg announcement. We've believed for a long time that glasses are going to be an important part of building the next computing platform and unlocking a whole new set of experiences for people. The glasses do not stream or post directly to Facebook. First of all, I I, I need to take this part. These are this, Ray-Ban is mine, Facebook. Like, literally, <laughs> that is my look. Yeah. People on the train today recognize me from my Ray-Bans. And now mm-hmm. Facebook is sticking. Now, they can't put it in the aviators because they can't put their discreet cameras in there. But yeah. everything about it is... I don't know what what truck they lined up in front of, of Luxottica, which owns Ray-Ban now, to give them this money. A discreet camera is not something I want from Facebook. I'm sorry. And we will talk about some other issues they had, uh, some other stories today. But, but what's it's it also for, a copy though? of Spectacles, Snapchat yeah, Spectacles, right. whatever. Well, you know, it's so unlike them to copy Snap. That's, I know. that's a bit of a shocker. 
Yeah. yeah, I don't care. I've never understood the camera on glasses thing. And I thought, it, I did think of you. I thought, what's next? They're going to put some sort of listening device in Zacapa. I'm like, they're literally, <laughs> I think this is passive aggressive towards you. I think it is. I Do you know what it is? Here's the deal. Everyone around me got a, a pair to try, not me. They didn't send me a pair. Casey Newton, who lives in my house, it was delivered to my house. I didn't know what it was. I threw it on his porch. They mm -hmm. delivered to my other tenant, Lauren Good. Let me just tell you, they are just Andrew Bosworth. Well, hold on, Lauren Good, the other podcast host, is your tenant. Yeah, now she is. Yeah. Are you like an encampment for media executives? <laughs> well, I mean, the other seriously. tenants bought their own house, and so Lauren moved in. Now she lives there. Now I have two tech. Yes, it's a tech. It's a wayward home for tech writers. That's what it is. This is hilarious. Someone I don't get it. Is Maureen Dowd in the basement right now? Like, no, did, no. By the way, she wrote a great article. I'm, I'm not going to go there. So I, I don't understand the whole Facebook thing, the Facebook and Ray-Bans. Face yeah, rounds. Well, what is it? I don't know. I just I don't understand these things at all. It's not going to work. I was there for the beginning of Google Glass. The idea is good for workers, I guess, and stuff like that. I don't think people are going to go around and do their life. It's, I think it's part of the metaverse thing. That I don't right. Know. He just doesn't have a new fresh idea, and they're doing this, and they own Oculus. I don't know. I stick with Oculus, Mark. That makes sense to me. Like I got this is just. These never work. The first Google Glass that came out, speaking of Fashion Week, you know, that was my fam most famous line of all time to yeah. Sergey Brin. When they put, remember, they put them on a bunch of supermodels or a Victoria's Secret thing. They, yeah. And they were all like modeling with those. And with actually, with DVF, the Google Glass are kind of cool looking, right? Yeah. And DVS yeah. were there. So Sergey said, What do I think? And I said, You've just rendered supermodels unfuckable. That's really what I said. So. You! You're a salty little minx. You love that. <laughs> anyway, another thing, uh, President Biden has a new—I don't want to talk about it. Like, stay okay. away. Get, get off my lawn, mm, Facebook. Serious. Get off my serious. fucking Ray-Ban lawn. That's, That's all I have to say. That's just passive-aggressive. It is. I think no, they're doing it on like purpose. It Let's pick Ray-Ban and not give a pair to Kara. That's right. House Democrats want a new privacy bureau inside the FTC. They've talked about creating this for a long time. Uh, they're asking for $1 billion to make it happen. That's more than three times the FTC's entire annual budget. Right. It's not going to happen. They were going to do a, a separate internet agency. Not going to happen. That's what struck me so, in this article was that yeah. the FTC's budget is probably what Facebook spends, I don't know, in six months on PR to convince yeah. people that they're not a monopoly. That to, to think about how much money we've been spending and how much, you know, we, <laughs> stimulus programs, six to seven trillion dollars, and literally – what, a half a percent of that? Or, or not yeah. even that. I mean, just no. Yeah. These people are outgunned. 300 million. I know. They have like 1,000 people, something like that. It's really, yeah. you know, they do need to reform these agencies to deal with the modern age. And I, I've talked to Amy, we've talked to Amy Klobuchar about that, if you remember, Senator Klobuchar. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's the, it's the right idea, the Privacy Bureau. The issue is they have to actually define privacy. Like, mm -hmm. what is it? You should be able, like... You know, one of my tenants, Casey, wrote a good piece about this piece on WhatsApp privacy. You should be able to report bad things, right, mm -hmm. even in an encrypted app. You should be able to do certain things. So the question is, what is privacy? I think it's going to be the big Well, I wasn't here, but every week I would pretend I was here, and I would do wins and oh. tails in my mind. And one of my— <laughs> Did you sit in front of a, like a wooden— <laughs> This is what I would have said. I would, I would sit— I would sit my 11 and 14-year-old down and go, okay, wins and fails. Yeah. Um, but You know, the, Preetz was on the money, by the way, but go ahead. Um, yeah, he got that right in like a hot yeah. minute. Yeah. Pre he Preetz did. was right. Anyways. <laughs> great. Out. Yay for Preet. <laughs> and by the way, in French, it's Preet. It's Preet. <laughs> Why does he encroach I'm on so the, excited the, the genius, which is the informidable force marginal line of the dog? Anyway. I'm so excited to see you together. We're going to take a picture. I love it. Um, anyways, the um, Apple, the biggest fail I thought from a brand standpoint mm -hmm. was this Apple hashtag mirroring that went phishing on your phone when they yeah. positioned their brand around privacy. And yeah. I, I was critical of a move when you have someone who's shot 17 people, a terrorist, and the, you get a court order, I believe, mm -hmm. that Apple should open the phone. And then Apple goes – does a 180 and says, we're going to go onto the client yeah. without your permission. It's very complex. And start uploading images. Well, no, that's not exactly what's working, but it's well, they, little... But weren't they going to cross-reference no, images on your phone? No, they've got to have 30 instances of it. It's, then it doesn't go – it goes to a moderator. I had I had Ashton Kutcher and Julie Cordua on Sway, and they, we I'm sorry. You're saying that for credibility? <laughs> no, but they have oh, Thorn. You had, oh, what is no, Ashton No, they run think? Thorn. No, they run really? Thorn. This is a big agent. What this does John big... Cryer think of antitrust? No, he has Thorn. Thorn is a big deal in this area. It's the It's, it's been around for 10 years. Uh, in any yeah, case uh, – Anyways, look, you're more knowledgeable than your – 
then you're a woman on the street. But you're right. It's a bad look. It's a bad it, look. It, it, but, but not only was it a bad look, it, it's contrary to this whole, which I think was a brilliant positioning around privacy as a basic human right. And then you know what the best brand move of the month, month was? Mm. I'm going off script here, was uh, Brian Chesky uh, announcing um, that they were going to use their platform to help resettle Afghan refugees. It tapped into the core product. He does that a lot. And by the way, Charlottesville, he did that. The stock was up several billion dollars on the announcement. I mean, it was just good for shareholders. He's done that a bunch of times, things like that, whether it was around Charlottesville or the the Capitol uh, March. He he cut them off and didn't help but it was he, he about housing them when they wanted to come back he said he uses his co- he's a little patagonian in that regard yeah yeah and I you know like your second best line is speaking about privacy the second best line uh, just close second to making models on fuckable is um when you said that people should people should wait what did you say people should have secrets you said something yes. along that or people yeah. should be able to have secrets Huge that really line. stuck with me i like that what's your secret Oh, gosh. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> okay. All right. We have to get to our big stories, but I just want to say SpaceX is launching its first ever all-civilian mission to space. The four-person right. crew will orbit the Earth for three days. The mission is funded by tech billionaire Jared Isaacman, also on board, a physician's yep. assistant at St. Jude's. The mission aims to raise $200 million for the Children's Hospital. I think this one's okay. I'm good with this one. This one feels like it's a good marketing moment. Real people are going in space. It's not some ridiculous billionaire's joyride kind of thing. I kind of like this. I think this is the right way to do it. Well, I would describe Virgin Galactic as being brand or marketing driven. Blue Origin being, uh, quite frankly, ego driven. It's one guy who's decided to play with his rocket. I think SpaceX is engineering driven. and. He is better managed, and look at look at the difference between the SpaceX uh, and Blue yeah, Origin. Yeah, they're orbiting the Earth. Yeah, these guys like shot up to the Klarman line. Big mm-hmm. fucking deal. Basically, going twice as high as a private plane. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Anyways, about sixty miles up. Is it sixty miles or sixty kilometers? Anyways, this thing is go- actually going into you know orbit. near orbit and, and circling, orbiting the orbiting the Earth three times. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the real deal. It is. Uh, these things make me very nervous. I don't think people oh. appreciate. How dangerous. how dangerous space travel is. I mean, the term space means that, you know, there are like billions of particles in every square meter on in our yeah, atmosphere. No, it wants to, space wants to kill you. Is That's what, exactly uh, right. Not only does space want to kill org- all organisms, space doesn't want to let any material survive. No, nothing. Things degrade, things decompose. So uh, um, all of this, whenever they get off the launch pad, because you're basically taking several hundred megatons of a flammable fluid and like mm-hmm. pointing people oh, yeah. and saying, okay, hold on. Uh, and then, I mean, you just you just hold your breath because it's well, very let's hope dangerous. That's not what happens here. But if it doesn't, it's a. I think this is the way to do it. Stuff like this, real yeah. people orbiting the Earth, raising money, getting people interested in the technology, seems like a good way to spend money in that. Rather than just doing a woohoo ride, but fly over the world. I just find that irritating. Anyway, yeah, agreed. All right, on to our first big story. Apple is expected to reveal a new iPhone today, but the biggest update may be in its app store. That's because of a ruling in the Epic versus Apple lawsuit, which came down in Apple's favor with one big exception. A judge ruled that Apple does not have to reduce the fees it charges developers in its app stores. It's currently from 15 to 30 percent. Fortnite Epic's game maker remains banned from the app store, however, because they broke their contract. However, the judge allowed the developers can use the non-app store payments to get around the Apple store mm-hmm. fees. That's a big change. It's a big win. Epic still filed an appeal because it didn't declare Apple a monopolist, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really interesting ruling. And to me, Apple did win because they were going in this direction anyway with their previous settlement the week before. And it, Mark Gurman, who writes really well about Apple, was like, look, it's not that much money for them. They were going in this direction anyway, and most people will probably still pick Apple as the payment system. So what do you think about this? Uh, Mark Gurman. So let me guess. He's your dog walker. No. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Uh, <laughs> Not yet. Look, uh, this was uh, this is an interesting case of the media deciding, oh, wouldn't it be more interesting to say epic fail for Apple, right? And mm-hmm. the reality was it was probably more of a win for I Apple. And it it distills down to what a lot of antitrust lawyers on both sides of the issue will say, and that it mm-hmm. uh, being a monopoly isn't illegal. It's abusing monopoly power. And yeah. what they've said is, okay, you've, my understanding of the ruling is the judge has basically said, you've invested a lot. You've done a good job. People get utility from this. Consumers clearly love it. They don't feel 
angry that they, mm. you know, they, they have to wait for someone to come install their cable be between mm. the hours of one and five and three months because you have a regulated monopoly. But what they've said is it's monopoly abuse. You can continue to charge 30%. You can continue to have somewhere between 55 and mm -hmm. 85% market share, depending on how you calculate it. But what you can't do is that once someone's downloaded the app, then decide that all tail activity within the app, mm -hmm. you get a commission on. They saw mm -hmm. that as monopoly abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought it was more of a win for Apple, if you will, than for yeah, the judge. I, th I actually did think the judge did a good job. She was very. She was, seemed like she sort of cut the baby a little bit, kind of thing. Yeah, split the baby hundred um, yeah, percent. And yeah. I think she was very deft in doing it, but she definitely didn't go far. She didn't want to be lose on appeal. Obviously, now a Epic is appealing this, and it's going to it's going to keep going upwards. But I feel like a a Apple was going to give on this. I think German is right that people will probably use Apple's. You know, it's a couple billion in there. They don't care. They make so much money everywhere else, including mm -hmm. the new iPhone, presumably. So it's it's an interesting. It was it, they could have it could have been they missed a really tough ruling. They they did not get the tough ruling that maybe many people think they deserve, which I think is interesting. Have you heard anything about the new iPhone or what it's supposed to be? No, I don't. I haven't looked at it at all. I usually go to Apple events. I used to go to Apple events, but no more. They're all virtual. And I think they like it that way. You know, they were so cool when Jobs was doing them. They honestly were. They were fun. It was sort of like a it was like a Trump rally, but for tech reporters, I guess. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I, it'll probably have a better camera. It'll probably be sleeker. Who knows? Something like that. I found an iPhone, and I just want to say to the original mm -hmm. owner to please stop calling my new phone. <laughs> I will probably get it because I have. I'm on that every year. You get a new iPhone thing. Yeah, I'll probably get it. <laughs> yeah, right. I, okay. I like my iPhone. Smell right. you. Smell, smell you with me. the new iPhone. Smell me. Last thing. Aside from this, I, I think Epic's probably not going to win on appeal. But you know, they've got a really good lawyer. There's a woman named Christine Barney who works for them. Uh, but I think they're. Uh, I think Apple's not the focus of. I think Apple's moved enough. That mm -hmm. they're they're assuaging some of their critics. We'll see. They're not the easiest nut to crack compared to a lot of the others. That's all. So South Korea did though pass law essentially banning Apple's and Google's monopoly on App Store payments. This was the law that was people were worried about, and that the Apple and Google tried to get the Biden administration to move in on, and they didn't. Um, so this law essentially forces them to use payments. So this they're going to have to just do this. This is my feeling. What yeah, but it also kind of highlights that um, these rulings. They're going to have to change the law if we're going to if if we yes. are do in fact believe that big tech um, big tech's power has become bad for the economy and bad for job growth and I think there's a lot of evidence of that you're, you're probably going to have to have a fundamental shift in antitrust laws because as yes. they're interpreted now it's going to be very difficult for Lena Khan or you know they can I I just hope the FTC and the DOJ doesn't become like the Los Angeles Rams in the 80s when Joe Namath is literally almost in a wheelchair we decide to draft him or we take David Beckham to the LA Galaxy it's like right. we don't need we don't need kind of these formally important and impressive we need people to come there and actually get shit done and so yeah. you don't want a dream team that then loses to Croatia in the semifinals of the Olympics yeah. I don't know no. where I got that but anyway <laughs> In any case, you're right. So They've got to be very careful. It, like I said about MGM last week, it's not they should not be pursuing cases that are not going to be winning cases. They have to have winning cases is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So we need to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll discuss a new story about Facebook, not flattering. I know you're surprised. And we'll mm -hmm. talk to a friend of Pivot about the California recall, which is today. Scott, we're back with our second big story. Even as Facebook claims to clamp down on harmful speech, it carves out exceptions for millions of celebrities, politicians, and other public figures. That's according to a new report from the Wall Street Journal. It's quite a, it's a really terrific story. Documents reviewed by the journal detail the use of quality control system called XCheck, where VIP users are whitelisted, exempt from the usual rules. XCheck includes at least 5.8 million users and has various elite tiers. In an internal review from 2019 found that, quote, we are not actually doing what we say we do publicly and that, quote, these people can violate our standards without any consequences. Facebook seems to have misled its own oversight board in describing the system. What a shock, saying that it was used in, quote, a small number of decisions. Oh, this is comes as a shock to me. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah, this is just I'm I'm shocked here. I sho I'm shocked. It's like the Melania thing. She was asked to tweet to stop the pro the the attack on the Capitol, and she said no. This is a new book by Stephanie Grisham. I mean, like I'm shocked by this once Melania? again. Melania. So, well, uh, it's a story that Stephanie Grisham, who was her press secretary, has written a book, and in it, she said she tweeted, she texted Melania, "Do you want to? We need to tweet something about 
the attack on the Capitol. And she said no, uh, she wouldn't want to do that. Uh, to stop the attack. Anyway, in some ways we knew this. Facebook let Trump uh, out of a lot, speaking of Melania, Trump out of a lot of things that other people couldn't, just labeled it misinformation when it was kind of forced to. But the post stayed up. Facebook says the system is designed to protect VIPs from having their posts mistakenly deleted or hidden. So what do we do here? I mean, look, this system is untenable. That's the only thing I could think about. I I just thought it is, uh, I actually think Facebook should be elevating and deprioritizing certain individuals. I don't Mm. think... I, I think they don't they want should. to do that. Well, they they are doing it. They yes. they they had their fallback position is we want to give voice to the unheard and we want to give everyone a platform sure. such that they could could let really damaging noxious content run unfettered because a lot of that content right. inspires engagement. But they have been editing. They have mm-hmm. been making of these course. kind of judgment calls. So that's of fine. Course. But you and I think they should be making those judgment calls. But they also have to accept responsibility for the editorial voice that they're shaping. And putting out, and that editorial voice has been one of the most damaging propaganda voices in history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Trump yeah. brought this all into sharp relief. They were sort of wandering around doing this forever, and Trump brought it into sharp became relief. the test case. I like that. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. But is that sharp relief unfuckable now? Jesus <laughs> Christ! I brought it into sharp relief. You're roll I think today. this company is and has always been that way. But yeah, nonetheless, not as people. Like not as people. I'm talking about a company. I think that this is, you know, one of the problems with Facebook is it just piles on that they lie to the public or they or they say one thing. The other thing is the the author wrote me back and he's like Jeff Horowitz and he says, well, I can't. But one thing I didn't know it was this bad, and two that they wrote it all down. And I wrote back to him, "Welcome to the Thunder Zone," with a picture of Tina Turner, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I said, they write it down because they don't think there's anything wrong with it, and mm-hmm. they're proud of it even. And then every now and then, one person who sort of leaves the building every now and then is like, just a second here, this could be problematic. And so it, it goes to this idea of that they don't like any dissent within within this company. They don't have anyone in that room being an irritant to whatever. They're just, they all, like they're in violent agreement with each other, the people that work there. So. Well, and this is, this is the problem with groupthink. I'm on a, a board of a company and they were talking about Choosing my words carefully here, a merger with other companies and, mm-hmm. and the controlling shareholder kind of busted into song while why it was a good thing. And I I didn't push back, but I wanted a discussion and I highlighted the other issue. And the uh, the lead director called me and said that didn't land well. It's important we get along. And I'm like, boss, Boy. the thing that Enron's board and Theranos' board had in common was they all got along really well. And it's not our job to get along. Our job in a company and at a board and even among senior management meetings, and I hate it because I have a big ego and I was on an editorial call this morning at Prop G and someone said, Scott, that's fucking stupid. That makes no sense. And I, my mm-hmm. ego gets all angry. But unlike mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, I recognize, you know, a key part of shaping the crafting the right solution is evidence and respectful debate and conflict. And the thing about Facebook that they've always held true to is the moment they put anyone with any gravitas or backbone on the board, that person soon leaves. Yeah. That's and anytime they it's bring more, it, it's more to employees too. It's these well, employees. Well, that's right ahead of it. They acquire a company and these amazing companies they acquire are clearly led by leaders mm-hmm. who have a viewpoint and probably don't back down when Mark Zuckerberg says, no. We want to give voice to the unheard. Uh, mm-hmm. or we we promised we wouldn't use your data or inter- or, yeah. or make it interoperable with our other platforms, but we've decided to do that. And then when these guys push back or gals push back, before you know it, they've decided to leave. Yeah. So the key, I mean the key to uh, Facebook is clearly like, all right, everybody try to figure out what Mark thinks and get there first. Yeah. And that typically leads agree. to very, very, um, uh, leads to bad places. It's just, like the things they say, like we don't do this and then they do it. Like, of course they do it, but they're they're actually proud of it. And they, they honestly don't think there's anything wrong with it. They I, Like pointing out that the discrete cam is a problem, you should be, like, it's interesting because on the Snapchat glasses, when I was talking to Evan mm-hmm. Spiel, he's like, we make it clear it's a camera so that people know they're being recorded. The Facebook one, you can't tell it is. There's a small white light on the glasses and that's it. They think that's a good thing, like that people are possibly being photographed, taken of them, and they're being recorded. And that's the difference. Like literally, Evans people are like, I made it big and yellow, and it looks like a camera. So, it, you know, right. th- and this is the same thing is they don't think there's anything wrong with coddling these people and letting them do what they want and then lying about it when someone says, what? Like, huh? Like, And I think their problem was Trump arrived, and Trump has sort of blown this company 
boneless companies. Everything everything that's happened to Facebook is related to Trump. Bad, like that we see the badness in it is related to Trump. But way. there's a, a a bigger meta theme here around. I mean, the thing is, if you're going to screw up and violate people's privacy or weaponize mm-hmm. the election, you don't want to do it once. You want to do it a thousand times because. Yeah. We don't know where to look and what to focus on with Facebook. We've yeah, almost we become, it's almost just become noise. It's become Muzak in the background, their total it disregard is. for the Commonwealth and their incredible competence to lie and then still mm-hmm. put on a smiley face and to get on stage and act like we're proud of the progress we've made. It's like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, what progress is that exactly? Yeah. But just as dangerously between COVID, between Trump, between all the shit with big tech, we're missing so many dumpster fires. It's like when the house is on mm-hmm. fire, you can't You're focus right. on the plumbing. And I was even thinking about, I hope this Bitcoin introduction in El Salvador brings some focus to the new leadership in El Salvador, which is a 40-year-old who used to run a disco, which is slowly demand, and he's slowly dismantling the democracy there. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, I hope the best thing that could come out of El Ooh, Salvador but Bitcoin, is- Bitcoin, Scott. Well, I know, but let's talk about Bitcoin. That's what they want to yeah. talk about, as yeah, opposed to exactly. this guy slowly but surely dismantling yep. any remnants of, 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 of democracy in El Salvador. And there's just so many tragedies all over the world that we don't that we don't have the luxury of even focusing on anymore because it's such a shit show. Yeah. Um, deservedly between the pandemic, but big tech has basically basically given it's like the war on drugs made us more vulnerable to terrorism because we were mm-hmm. doing stupid things like trying to track every, you know, yep. uh, any inbound drugs uh, into the nation. It just it just took valuable resources away from more pernicious threats. And I feel as if the same thing is happening with big tech, that Facebook has basically created cloud cover for every other company that wants yes, to do bad shit. But yet we go on, Scott. Yeah, we do. We do. We move we, on. We go we to Fashion on. Week. We go to Fashion. We go to Fashion <laughs> Week. <laughs> I couldn't show up. I'm wearing literally an old T-shirt and 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 pedal pusher pants right here, sweatpants. You anyway, can show up anywhere. By uh, the way, what? I do. Actually, I do. I hate to admit, I always get to like people are like, "How's Kara? Where's Kara?" On the train today, six people. Yeah. yeah. Six people. Six people. Nice. People really, they're they're thrilled. They're, We're so glad Scott's back. I'm like, okay. Go on. <laughs> That's, all. They do just That's like right. They like us. They That's like right. us. Daddy's they really home. like us. Yes, Daddy's home. True. Let's bring on our friend of Pivot, Brian Derrick. A political consultant who has worked for Lambda Legal and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Mm-hmm. His Instagram stories were chicken soup for the liberal soul around the 2020 election, where he dropped mm-hmm. frequent civics lessons and soothing electoral updates. Hi, friends. It might seem really early to be talking about the midterms, but the organizing and fundraising that happens in the next six months will likely determine which seats are actually winnable one year from now. He continues to motivate voters at the local level on Instagram and through his platform, Oath. So he joins us now to break down what's at stake in the California recall. This is Mm -hmm. very exciting. So, Brian, welcome to Pivot. Well, thank you so much for having me on. So let's give us some quick background here to explain the recall in like 30 words or less. Like, why is this happening? Essentially, the recall is an effort by Republicans um, to remove Governor Gavin Newsom from office in California because he responded strongly to the pandemic and fought for Mm -hmm. basic public health measures. And Republicans have seen uh, that as an opportunity to grow their base, fundraise in California, and try to recall him from office. He also did some dumb things, let's be clear. Like, he, he did that dumb dinner, for example, at possibly the most elite restaurant in all in all of California. Yeah, I think there's definitely um, blame to go around. But the good news today is that he mm-hmm. is very likely to survive this recall. All data that we have mm-hmm. points to him mm-hmm. um, coming out successful and going on to run again in 2022. That's right. There's another election. Without, how, many, how much money has been spent here? So the governor has raised to date about $80 million for, um, th- through both committees that he's been fundraising through, compared to mm-hmm. his nearest opponent has raised about $13 million. So he's by far been the dominant fundraiser in the space. Mm-hmm. Republicans have really failed to show that they were going to have a true path to victory that was going to allow them to to fundraise anywhere near. And how much are Californians spending? How much are California voters, I mean, citizens having to spend to do this? Sure. The the recall election itself will cost upwards of $200 million. And so there is a real cost associated with 
putting this on the ballot and asking all 58 counties of California to hold uh, an election in the middle of a pandemic. So first off, and most importantly, uh, do you know who Tormund Giantsbane is? Do you watch Game of Thrones? I do. They call me Giantsbane. Want to know why? He's the guy with the beard who has murder in his heart. You look like a handsome version of him. And by the way, I just want to shout out to our producers. I asked for better looking people and they delivered. Brian, oh you God. are just Would fucking you dreamy. Ask a question? You are dreamy. Enough of bothering oh, me. Is that triggering? <laughs> okay, isn't, isn't this recall literally the best example? Just as Marx said capitalism would, would collapse on itself, isn't this some evidence that democracy, when it's taken too far, collapses on itself? When you decide mid cycle, that you put in place a construct, which at least conceptually is if someone is really upsetting uh, the populace that voted for them and they, you get enough signatures, you get a recall. Okay, that all makes sense. But we're now in a situation where, if I understand it correctly, the, the sitting governor can get 49.9% yeah. and a whack job conservative talk show host can get 13. And congratulations, Governor Elder. Isn't this an example? Shouldn't we be using this as a catalyst to revisit the entire recall construct? That is a very astute point and uh, to explain that point a little bit further. So the recall breaks down into two questions. Question one, should Newsom be recalled? And if greater than 50% of voters vote yes on that question, whoever wins a plurality or the most votes on question two will become the governor, right. regardless of how many that is. So yes, it could be no, no candidate has ever become governor in the United States in any state with less than 30% of the vote. And so it, mm -hmm. if Newsom is recalled, it would likely be historic that someone with very little support in the state became the governor. Um, to your point, I don't think this is a great example of how this aspect of democracy should function. It's really mm -hmm. through serendipity that we ended up here. California has the lowest bar to recall elected officials in the entire country. There have been 179 mm -hmm. recall attempts in it, California in the exactly. past. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And um, there have only ever been four gubernatorial recall elections in the United States, two of them, including this, in California. And the reason that we're actually here is because the original recall effort failed to get enough signatures in the time allotted, which again is the most time any state is allowed to gather those signatures. But a judge extended for four months, gave them four more months to collect those signatures to um, get make this recall happen. And so they only had a million of the approximately 1.5 million they needed by the original deadline and needed an extra four months in order to get across the finish line. Yeah, it's the whole thing is just stinky. So what, what are the major differences between this recall and the uh, Gray Davis recall, which did work in, for putting Arnold Schwarzenegger in office? I would say the primary differences are the political landscape of California has shifted left. Um, for the last mm -hmm. three presidential elections, Democrats have won a greater and greater vote share of um, California votes. And to now to the point that registered Democrats are um, outnumbering registered Republicans two to one in, in California. Mm -hmm. So if everyone were to go cast their ballot, it would not be a close election, um, it, which right. is why it's just about turnout. The other important difference between this and, and 2003 is that Newsom's approval rating is actually quite high. Um, it mm -hmm. definitely hit rough spots, especially after the um, missteps that we, we already mentioned. But his approval rating has consistently been over 50%, whereas I believe Gray Davis was in the 30s yeah, was uh, at the time that he was mm -hmm. recalled. Yeah. Okay, Scott? Do you think there's a trend or there, this will represent that the pendulum swung too far and, uh, and, and there's an overcorrection and we might come back from this notion that state legislatures can boot a impeach a governor mid-cycle, that at some point you just say, well, we have elections for a reason. And if someone's unpopular, you get to vote for them in a maximum of 48 months. And usually it's you know two years or less from now. Do you think we're going to move back to just saying, okay, elections are where we decide who does and does not deserve to be in office? Or are we going to continue to see this kind of, I'm um, showing my bias, nonsense? Mm -hmm. Is this, have we hit peak mid-cycle weirdness? No. <laughs> I hope so. No, I, says Kara. 
I, I hope so. That is why in many states there's a requirement that an elected official is convicted of a crime in order to be recalled. Mm-hmm. Um, California mm-hmm. does not have such a requirement. My hope is that this is the extent of people's short-sightedness with um, wanting their electeds to be immediately, to, to, to face immediate accountability for any disagreement, the public policy disagreement that they have with yeah. them. Yeah. Or say it's fraud because there's been an uptick in the, in the voter fraud narrative of Fox News in social media and stuff like that. So there are all sorts of reasons why the 2020 election, in my opinion, was full of shenanigans. And my fear is they're going to try that uh, in this election right here in recall. Pay attention to the voter fraud going on in California because it's going to have big consequences not only for that state, but for upcoming elections. They're doing this again. Like he's going to he's going to win because of fraud. I think that that is a possibly the most consequential outcome of this election, um, assuming that. Gavin Newsom stays in office, which I believe is very likely, is the that Republicans have really consoli- consolidated around this narrative of voter fraud. Every election is a fraud. They Every, lose, everything they lose is a exactly. fraud. Exactly. And you hear them repeating it across Fox News. Um, Donald Trump has chimed in multiple times about this election that say, to say that it must be rigged. Um, Larry Elder's doing Larry it. Larry Elder's doing it. If you look on his campaign website, already the no results are out for this election. And already it says, and I quote, he's asking people to sign on to investigate and ameliorate the twisted results of this 2021 recall election. Oh, good God. When we Can have you- no results. <laughs> A lot of tech people involved in this. Mm-hmm. Chamath on one side and uh, David they've Sachs, gone, I think. They've gone strangely quiet, haven't they? Like, yeah, oh, well, fuck, no, he hasn't. He's, he's, he's sending me answers to four questions I have tomorrow for mm-hmm. my column. But to Chamath is doing it. And then uh, uh, Reed Hastings is on the other side. Can you talk about this tech involvement? Because that's been funding. It's th- there's not a lot of money on that side, but there is tech money involved. And it was sort of started by them in a weird way. It felt like it was started by them. Absolutely. So I think it's important for people to know that there's no limit on the campaign contributions that are allowed to uh, participate in in this kind of election. And so you have um, donations of one million plus dollars being made on both sides of the aisle. And so if you have those kinds of resources, I do think that people see the governor of California as being an important player in those kinds of tech conversations and public Mm -hmm. policy narratives, and they want to make sure that they have their voice heard in who's going to be pushing or advocating against any kind of regulation in in tech. This feels like the Cold War, where we have the Soviet Union, one tech billionaire on one side, and we have America, another tech billionaire on the other side. And then Vietnam are these these ridiculous recalls where they have proxy wars, where it ends up being Reed Hastings versus somebody else. And this democracy is just kind of stuck in the middle. That, that, yeah. that it's these guys pulling the levers. They're the, it's a weird form of Cold War. It's just a, it represents so much bad shit, too much money in politics, recall. Yeah. I, I would, so I, I'd love, Brian, you kind of swim in this stuff. I'd love to get, we have a part of the show where we do predictions. I would love for you to say, just kind of shoot from the hip on some predictions or thoughts around 2024 or what we are missing around politics, wherever you feel comfortable. Make some like a civics lesson. Give us some stuff that you think is going to play out in the next couple of years. Absolutely. In the near term, I think we are likely to see, and I'm using air quotes here, a a smoking Mm -hmm. gun come from the sham audit in Arizona, which Republicans have been dragging on for many months. Mm -hmm. And I see that completely changing the direction that Republicans take for both the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election. A smoking gun that makes that adds fuel to the flames of conspiracy? That will add a lot of fuel to the conspiracy fire. Um, You already Mm -hmm. have some Republicans who are claiming Um, some twisted kind of victory out of that audit um, that's been debunked many times. But I think that what we should expect is for Republicans to double down and triple down and to seek the rock bottom that seems to not exist in terms of questioning the legitimacy of our free and fair elections in order to boost their polling and fundraising numbers. I don't... Except when they win, and then it's not... A problem, right? Is that correct? That is correct, but they don't seem to know 
when that is. I mean, for example, they continually question the validity of mail-in ballots, but of the 16 states that had more than 50% of voters cast their ballot by mail, Donald Trump won in nine of them. And so they really don't seem to know when to quit. And a lot of it's not based in any kind of factual reality, but it is great for their fundraising numbers. Trump raised two hundred. Well, that's really the heart of it, isn't it? Exactly. That's the heart of it. So let me ask you, when did you decide to run this civics class on Instagram and, and your local election resource platform? I got a question during the 2020 Democratic presidential primary from a friend about delegates and why there were thousands of these delegates and who are they and how does it work. And the simplest way I had to explain it to him was to draw it out. And so I did that on a whiteboard, made a video and sent it over. I also posted it online. And that was sort of how it all began. People really seemed to appreciate contextualizing what was happening in the news within our system of governance and the importance of Um, the structure around what was happening. And so I Mm -hmm. continued to do that uh, through both stories and posts and on my whiteboard and tried to be as responsive as I could to people as they would submit more and more questions. I also do think that it is a generalization, but true that Democrats tend to look to federal government and uh, federal officials Mm -hmm. to solve their problems. When in reality, a lot of times the decisions that we want to be made differently are happening down the street in City Hall or in our state house. Right. So therefore, this plat, this local election resource. Platform. Exactly. And so I wanted to push people to look local and participate locally. Is, is that the best way to get through? I mean, I don't think they're dumb by any stretch. My son and I had just a really fascinating conversation about politics yesterday. I, I think they're quite up on things, but it's a good way to reach them, presumably. Do, do you have a, a broad range of people listen, looking at that or is it or a demo that looks at it? Because some of the best COVID stuff was like stuff on Instagram. I have to, not just Instagram, but TikTok, actually, especially. Some of the, they also have the misinformation, but people ignore the good stuff uh, that comes through on those platforms. Absolutely. I think my core demo has been Democrats who have felt really low or unenthusiastic or um, not included in the conversation, haven't understood Mm -hmm. where they can make their voice heard. Um, And that really spans all ages. That's young people who are a little bit disaffected with the system. That's older folks who might have lost a little bit of faith in, in the movement. And so being able to show people exactly where they can make their voice heard and have the greatest impact, I think is the best mm-hmm. way to, to challenge that kind of powerlessness um, that people might be feeling in a really overwhelming time and brutal right. news cycle. Right. And in places they aren't. Scott, last question. Uh, your picks are Democratic and Republican nominees for president of 2024. Oh, good one. Who I would like or who is no, most no. likely. Let do both. Let him do both. Let's here do here both. Here we go. I think the most. We want your brain, not your heart here. Sh- okay, sure. Okay. I think that the most likely scenario seems to be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, round two. Really? So you think Biden's going to get there? And you think that Trump announces and gets the nomination? Recent. Well, he's going to get the nomination. I. I yeah, I know people are not happy to hear that. I think that recent... Um, That's what you're like, Tormund. You like kick-ass, <laughs> take names. You train right, eager to kill other answer. people. Recent what? what I think that what? Sorry, uh, recent, Sorry, recent tidbits and headlines have pointed to Trump running. I think he will be... I think hmm. he will clear the field. I think people will run against him. I think it will be very difficult to do so. And mm-hmm. I think that if he wins the nomination, or even before that, Joe Biden will feel compelled for the same reasons he felt compelled to run in 2020. He will feel compelled Mm -hmm. to run again. And so that's why I say that seems like the most likely scenario. Who would you like? If Trump does not run, I think we're looking at possibly um, Pence or if it goes the other way, Hmm. Josh Hawley on the Republican side. Do you think Liz Cheney has any chance or Nikki Haley or? I do not see a moderate Republican rising to the top mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. climate. Isn't that weird that Liz and, and Nikki right. are considered yeah. moderate? Exactly. Yeah. Moderate. That's, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely Darth right. Darth Vader's daughter. Oh, right. um, <laughs> somebody with at least one foot in 
this in this reality that the rest of us are living in, I guess, is, is the mm-hmm. only way that I could possibly describe them. And then? And then likely Vice President Kamala Harris um, on the left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there it is, mm-hmm. Brian. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. His Instagram is at Brian Derrick underscore. And also his resource platform, O's, and vote. Everybody vote in the election, and then we will we'll see what happens. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. We'll be back for wins and fails. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. I'm going to start. I'm going to start yeah. this. I, I saw, I first time I ventured in a theater in like two years, really two years. Yeah. Uh, I double masked. The person I went with had some money and bought all the seats on every side of them. So we were like not surrounded. It was kind of interesting. I, didn't I think know. There's, a, there's a couple of words for that. First is white. Second is privilege. I'm sorry, uh, You go know ahead. what? You I just the went as a guest. In any okay. case, I didn't know this was happening. In any case, I went to see the new Marvel movie, Shang-Chi. It oh, was, is that good? Fan friggin' tastic! Really, it was so. It was funny. Aquafina was amazing. Huh. Uh, it was well done. It was gripping. Michelle Yao was in it, who I love, who she could do mm-hmm. anything. She could read a phone book. I'd be thrilled to watch her. Uh, but she kicks ass. There's an actor, and I'm. I think it's Tony Leung, and he's he's really amazing because it's a very conflicted role. He, this guy has to fight his father, and I got to tell you, it was. Tremendous. Really? Is it is it okay for kids? Can I take my boys? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. There's not even slight amounts of anything in it. I love that. It's kick ass. And again, Aquafina's amazing. Everyone in it was great, and it was wonderful. Thank you. It was totally worth. Do you have a fail? It was. It was. uh, I. I do. I do not. Well, yes, a lot of them. Like yes, all these people dying of COVID (laughs) still continues to shock me. And then that story in the Washington Post. Other than that, uh, about about the guy who couldn't. He had a heart attack. He couldn't get in the hospital because all the couldn't get in the hospital. Yeah, the the COVID people. I'm sorry, they're sick, but. Fuck you, people. This guy shouldn't have died. He should have been able to get no ice. Well, you know, last week we our prediction, we talked about the lack of leadership from Biden and yeah. literally on cue the next day, mandatory vaccinations. Yeah. Uh, so just in terms of media, I love talking about media. I'm watching a okay. great series called uh, Mr. In Between, which is out of Australia. I'm just oh. fascinated with Australian culture. Anyways, it's called Mr. In Between. It's with this really talented guy who also writes a show named Scott Ryan. It's about a low-level criminal. It's just a really interesting. There's a human side of it that, you know, criminals have families too. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but that's not my win or my fail. My fail is uh, I watched a CNBC interview with, I think, I believe her name is Deidre, Deidre Bosa, and she interviewed the CTO and chief legal counsel of Tether. And as far as Mm -hmm. I can tell, and the part of my brain that should be able to understand cryptocurrency has clearly died because I still can't get my head wrapped around crypto. But Mm -hmm. essentially, Tether is sort of a money market fund where a lot of people who hold foreign currencies can't buy Bitcoin um, Mm -hmm. uh, with their, you know, Argentinian pesos. So they convert it to the stable coin called Tether. And it doesn't create a digital trail for, you know, the triggers currency reserve restrictions or tax. A lot of people don't want a digital trail around their currency, um, Mm -hmm. their currency flows or anyways, their capital flows. And then they buy these tethers and then they buy Bitcoin. And a dramatic amount of Bitcoin is purchased in Tether, the stable coin. And uh, Deirdre did a great job of asking some very basic questions of what are you doing with this money? And they claim that they're buying commercial paper, which would mean about the, one of the five or 10 biggest commercial paper purchasers in the mm-hmm. world. And no one can find anyone who has sold them commercial paper. Mm-hmm. No one can find an intermediary that is willing to disclose that they're uh, purchasing commercial paper on their behalf and they're working with like Delta Bank of of the mm-hmm. Cayman Islands. I mean, this thing, it was literally something out of a movie. If you, yeah, it, it feels like a Bond it, thing, speaking oh of my movies God, no, to but come. It, it doesn't reek like it doesn't smell like teen spirit. It smells mm-hmm. like fraud. And if yeah. Tether ends up to be not legitimate, the amount of cryptocurrency that is purchased with Tether, it could literally tank the entire market. So mm-hmm. my fail is the oh, lack of disclosure yeah. around cryptocurrency and specifically yeah. around Tether. And I'm late to the game here. A lot of people have done great work around mm-hmm. this. But this smells like it could be really, really it bad. It literally sounds like a Bond movie, like someone who has this and is 
It sounds not like a bond movie. It sounds it's, it sounds like Bernie Madoff. Oh, Madoff, maybe. They won't disclose where this money is actually going. The securities they're supposedly purchasing yeah. with it. Anyways, my win is. Yeah, this area is going to be full of this kind of stuff for a while until feels the regulators very, very move scary. in and have some sort of regulation. Not that that's not going to stop some fraud, but you know. It does put, put my it. win is I think Carter Jimmy Carter was a terrible president and a mm-hmm. fantastic ex president and there are two roles and you can mm-hmm. have a lot of influence as an ex president uh, mm-hmm. you speak with a very big voice and I think that um, the individual who will go down perhaps as uh, great a contrast as there has been in history of someone who was a terrible president but a fantastic ex president uh, and there was further evidence I thought of the nine eleven memorial is George W Bush. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Hmm. I think his decision to not only to go into Afghanistan and then decide to build schools and set up a democracy in a, a small NATO nation, just and then and then use that as a, a jumping off point to Iraq. I mean, literally first ballot Hall of Fame of ca- catastrophic geopolitical decisions, a terrible president. Yeah. But I also think he speaks with a lot of, of gravity and heart and soul as an ex-president. And some of his comments at the 9-11 memorial, I think we're really courageous. You know, what he said courageous that, about? I'm sorry, I, I got to push back. I think he, that stuff, I'm not forgiving him for the, if the whole thing. The I Mideast didn't thing. say we should forgive him. No, I know, but he's getting a pass because he, he's so adorable now. I think people give him a pass. I think well, that was a great speech. The, he should have said I mean, it He said earlier. some important stuff. No, no, but uh, he talks about that while there's little cultural overlap mm-hmm. between between people who attack these towers, mm-hmm. they have the same disdain as domestic terrorists. They, he said this a tremendous line that they come from the same, they reek of the same foul, foul spirit. Yes. And that was I a brave was thing a to speech. say for a Republican to say these people in January 6th, these insur- insurrectionists are no different than the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11. I thought that was a courageous right, thing to tell, say for a Republican. Uh, let me ask you a question. Why is it brave? It's the truth. Why is that brave for him to say that? We applaud people for saying what they should have said. Six months ago, ten. I, the only person who actually was what other this, Republican Liz, has shown Liz that Cheney? bravery? There's been a bunch. There's been a okay, few. That's Adam one. Kitzinger. That's I know. One. I can't. What I can't believe is the bar is so low that we can only name a few. That's. I just find it like it's not brave to do the right thing. I'm, I just. I, I. I am shocked that there's not more. Okay. I know we should give it to him because he does paintings and he's real nice now and he hugs Michelle Obama. But I just gotta say these. Where were they when they when it mattered? When it really when 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 they had a chance to go at Trump? They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. I think my win is George W. Bush, uh, okay. his his speech at the 9-11 memorial. And I think he will go down similar to Jimmy Carter as a terrible president who became a very productive and thoughtful ex-president. But I agree with you. I don't I don't think that – I mean, Afghanistan – I'm with keeps, you on the Jimmy Carter part. <laughs> you, with, you with me on Jimmy? Yeah, he didn't do anything that bad. Like, he, was, he wasn't great, but he just, mm-hmm. wasn't it was Afghanistan awful. bad. There's nothing as oppressive yeah. as a weak and feeble government, and <laughs> Jimmy Carter proved himself, right. in my opinion, to be a weak right. and feeble government. Okay. Anyway, um, my win is George W. Bush's his, uh, speech at the 9-11 um, All right. Well, we will go with that. We will go with that, Scott. That's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. I'm looking for a good listener question for Friday's show. If you've got one, submit it to nymag.com slash pivot. We've had amazing questions from the audience. They've been terrific. Scott, will you please read us out? Today's show is produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Entertot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Tormund from Game of Thrones. He's a political (laughs) consultant now. Nice to see him reinvent himself.